This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Founded in the late 18th century by whalers, Hudson, New York was the first incorporated city in the United States. And like many historic towns, it has undergone cycles of boom and bust. Due to its ideal location on the Hudson River, it grew quickly and became prosperous. Painters of the Hudson River School, including Frederick Church, Thomas Cole, Stanford Gifford, and Albert Bierstadt, depicted the region's national wonders in stunning paintings and attracted hordes of visitors. But in the latter half of the 20th century, industry shuttered, the Catskill resorts on the west side of the river began closing, the region suffered, and Hudson went into decline. Most recently, the town has been saved not by industry so much, but by antique dealers, designers, and style setters. The entire region has undergone a renaissance, and Hudson itself has become a hotbed of fine shopping, dining, and design. I'm pleased to have with me today three people who know Hudson and the surrounding region very well and have seen how design has transformed both sides of the river. First up is Hannah Gachadurian, who has been selling in Hudson since 2017 and opened the Modern Exchange on Hudson's Main Street in 2020. Her shop features a beautifully curated selection of mid-century Scandinavian and eclectic modern furnishings and shares space with two colleagues, Upstate Rags and Ida's Eye, which offers antiques and vintage lighting, so they've got style covered. Hannah has seen Hudson Blossom since she began selling, and she understands the benefits as well as the drawbacks of gentrification. Welcome, Hannah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So good to be here. El Decor A-list designer Nick Olson is known for his colorful, quirky, and charming interiors. In 2016, he found his first weekend house in the Hudson River Valley, an 18th century farmhouse in Dutchess County, which he restored and renovated, infusing it with his love of Americana and comfort. Recently, he traded that in for a second weekend place, which he is in the process of redoing. Hello, Nick. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. Finally, we have the renowned New York photographer, William Abranowitz, who has traveled the world photographing homes for top interior magazines. Bill has maintained a family escape in the western foothills of the Catskills for many years. His love of the region was the inspiration for his beautiful new book, just published by Vendome, Country Life, Homes of the Catskill Mountains and the Hudson River Valley, in which he documents 20 homes and studios of architects, painters, dealers, writers, and curators. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Michael. Nice to see you. Great to see you. So I'm just going to confess, I went to Hudson many years ago. I won't say how long because I will date myself. And I remember before I went, because I knew there were some wonderful dealers that were opening up there. And I think three people said to me, when you get to the main street of Hudson, make sure you go left. Do not go right. Do not go right. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Now, the town has been so transformed. I, I'm always amazed when I go how many restaurants, I mean, shops, antique shops, new brand branded shops. It's amazing how there's been this renaissance. And I'd love to get a sense. I want to start with you, Hannah. How much you've seen change in the last, since you opened in 2017? How, how has it changed? What inspired you to, to go there to begin with? My, my understanding is you were a nurse. Is that correct? Yeah, I was a nurse. That was kind of my main profession and passion. And due to some 
unplanned kind of life changes, I couldn't do that any longer. So I dove into this, which I've always had a passion for. And 2017 launched with Cherish. That was awesome. It's kind of the propelling of the business. And then when Warren Street became an opportunity, a couple of my really good friends who were dealers there just said, you know, you've got to come. It's it's awesome. You're going to love it. So the opportunity arose to open up on Warren in 2020. It happened to be the week before COVID. So we did that. Crazy timing for us. It came with a lot of uncertainty. But from what I've seen change, it used to be maybe a bit more of a spot where designers would come and mainly just designers. But now that post-COVID boom, there's been so many more families. We've had such an influx of families moving in. So the clientele has changed a bit. And those changes have been pretty vast because it went from, like I said, just a little hot spot where it's, I mean, it's always had some of the world's best dealers since the 80s, you know, like forever. But now there's people seeking other things. So I would say the changes I've seen is more families, a little bit more people looking for different styles. So it's shifted a bit in that way, trying to fill their homes. So that's kind of the changes that I've seen personally. Now, Bill, you were really a pioneer. I mean, you're in Margaretville, which is on the Western side. Right. Um, but one of the things that impressed me about your your book is you know, people think, oh, country houses, they think rustic cabins, whatever. I mean, you have such a range. I mean, you have some historic properties, you know, Alana, things that you document in the book. But the houses of the architects design, all those people, such a range of styles. There are some more rustic, bucolic, bohemian places, but there's some modern ones, which obviously the kind of person that Hannah's selling to as well. Very sleek and contemporary. And have you seen that mix change since you've oh, been? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the economy that probably began in Hudson has slowly filtered out into the you know, Western Catskills and down into the Delaware Valley. There are certain portions that have always been, you know, sort of ahead of things. But with that came different types of architecture. And we built a house because we couldn't want, you know, I didn't want to have to renovate an older house. I don't have the, I don't have the patience for it. I don't, I wanted new systems. I wanted an environmentally conscious house. It was kind of groundbreaking when we first came up here. We came up here to ski. We didn't come up here for any other reason. And it has changed dramatically. It probably started about maybe right around the time Hannah has been talking about. Yeah. 2017, maybe a little bit before that, right, right. you know, because Andy's in Bovina and those towns, they had, they had things going on. And then you start to realize that it's all been uncovered. There's large swaths of land between places. And, you know, you discover things as you drive down a road you'd never been to before and realize there's this a magnificent modernist house, you know, that they just appeared, you know, they just appeared, but maybe they'd been there longer. It just, it, it, it's yeah. a lot of ground to cover between here and Hudson. I'm two hours from Hudson. Right. Right. And when you when you were putting together your projects that you wanted to include in the book, how did you find them all? Did people suggest things to you? Did you basically know most of them? I knew I knew most of the people. And then I was fortunate enough for those people to lead me to somebody else. And you know, I knew Alan Wansenberg. I had done I had photographed his book. Um, Peter Frank, I'd worked with as a stylist for many, many years on editorial and ad campaigns. And um, so, and and one thing led to another, and mo but most of the people I knew, I certainly had known of them. Mark McDonald, I knew of from many many years ago, both in New York and in Hudson, and 
you know, Alan Wansenberg said, well, several people said, talk to Mark, you know, go see Mark. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and again, one thing led to another. But that, that each house was a very big surprise. And I'm, being a little bit voyeuristic, uh, it's just fascinating to be able to do. Right, know? right. And, you know, Mark, again, Mark McDonald is a, a mid-century dealer. He's not, yeah. you know, an Americana dealer. He yeah. doesn't sell, doesn't deal in quilts or, you know, shaker furniture. So, Nick, you're on your second home in the area. So when did you first fall in love with it and why did you stay? Why did you decide that this is someplace you were going to keep keep your put, roots? Put so down roots. Um, good question. I was born and raised on the Florida Panhandle, like 10 minutes from the most beautiful white sand beaches. And I'm a, more of a water person. But even since childhood, I was kind of a romantic, weird kid who wanted to live on the front cover of the old um, boxcar children, children's books, because they were like raising themselves in a train, in a boxcar. <laughs> I and remember this, them well. Right. And there was like a winding creek with like perfectly manicured lawn for the countryside right up to the creek. <laughs> and that like never really escaped my consciousness. So I think I first went to Hudson back when I was still working for Miles Red in the early 2000s. But I, when I was on my own, a big client of mine bought a really charming farmhouse in Dutchess County. I think one of the oldest homes in the county from like the 1750s in the in this valley and he didn't want to really renovate too much and it was sort of on a whim for him because he's more of a city person and more of a Hamptons person but he kind of bought this house on a lark and I decorated it in record time and thanks to Michael's thanks to yourself it was photographed in that summer and I kept driving by this little yellow house on the way and my right hand at the time was there the whole time. And she said on our last trip for the photo shoot, she said, you know, that little house you like has been for sale the whole time. And I was never looking at the for sale sign. I was only looking at this charming little yellow house up on the hill with these black shutters. And it was five minutes away from the house I was decorating. And that was the summer of 2015. And I was that sort of like a... I needed something for myself. I was working very hard. I was single at the time. I didn't even own or lease a car. And I said, you know what? I'm going to buy this house. Like that house is for me. And I'm going to figure out because people buy and sell houses every day. Like, why is this such a big deal? And I did. And it took some time. And then in the, in, in the interim, my client decided that he couldn't stand the area and he left. <laughs> so the one person he, you knew, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I... But come to find out, I mean, I, this is how I, I'm not a planner. I'm a planner when it comes to my work, but this is how I vacation. This is, I have to go on my instinct. I knew I kind of knew people in the area. Turns out less than one minute drive away, literally around the corner is Christopher Spitzmiller, who I've known since I started in this industry, who's now an even closer friend along with his husband, Anthony. And it was a very long process because like I said, I, I mean, I would get a zip car in Manhattan, drive up to Dutchess County, meet with the contractor and drive back in the same afternoon. And you were young then. Yeah, right. I was really young and ambitious. But the area is, I mean, there's a reason all those painters were painting in the Hudson Valley. The light is so incredible. The I was told that Dutchess County in particular has such a high ratio of preserved farmland that hasn't gone to new new growth forest that you're driving on these country roads and it feels like 18th century England. And they're like, like Bill was saying, the diversity of the architecture from 
you know, like 10 minutes away, there's like a student of Frank Lloyd Wright, like house perched up on a hill. There was our former little house, like sitting right close to the road. There are these crazy Greek revival horse farms, you know, and there's kind of everything in between. But to bring it back around, both the, the our old property and our new house that we're renovating has my little creek, like right on the side of the property line, so I can like fantasize about my boxcar children. <laughs> but I just, a dream fulfilled, yeah, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> so simple pleasures, but um, I, 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 everybody has their their happy place, and I would say because of COVID, even though that was such a scary time, that little corner of Unionville, Verbank, Millbrook became like a really special place to me and now to my partner, Sam. So, Well, it's interesting, you know, you, you always hear about areas, towns or areas that are revived by like museums, you know, Bilbao right. in Spain, you know, when Frank Gehry came in, it transformed the town or, or Dia and Beacon, which had a huge impact or Mass Mocha up in Pittsfield, which I think that area is a little still struggling, but certainly Williamstown isn't. But it seems to me, and and maybe I just want to believe this because I love design, I love designers, but it seems to me that Hudson really was revitalized by design and designers. Is that a fair thing to say? Hannah, what do you say? I think so. I really do. I think that there's been some, you know, Vince Mulford, like he was a really iconic designer who came with a so much vision and had that beautiful, you know, the tin ballroom that's now the now Westerland. But I think that designers and also dealers alike really revitalized together. Like without the design community, without dealers committed to Warren Street and committed to bringing the best from all over the world and really bringing such a curated collection of things, because it's not just like one thing I love about Warren Street is that, you know, it's not just one one type of thing. There's so many different things. So I think that dealers and designers alike really gave it that that boost and and had something to do with with the boom for sure. Designers in particular and, and antiques dealers, creative people in, in those endeavors and, and artists. It was affordable to live here as well. It was nice. It was a community that was building. And that had been going on for a very, very long time. A very long time. You know, since the 1800s. Yeah, it was always popular with artists. I mean, yeah. Yeah. but, you know, artists were kind of a separate element of society, I think, in a way. I, I you guess know? I create creatives just in general, you know, right. I mean, people of the creative ilk. <laughs> right. But know? I think all of that, that sort of idea that artists are unapproachable or this, that, and the other thing that what used to be, or they were bohemian, that has sort of changed as well. So I think that there's more openness to, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and again, artists and, and gay people, whatever, always are on the forefront of real estate. And, you know, you you know, they always say, you know, buy where gay people buy because that's about to try, be rent. Trying you know. to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Nick, you're working on that. Please, um, you know, to, and I think that Valley. that is, that's sort of held true here, you know. But I mean, as beautiful as the region is, and it is it is beyond stunning, you're right. And it has a, the river, it has mountains, it's got waterfalls, it's got swimming holes, it's got open fields, it's got woods, it's got peaks and valleys. It's, it is very dramatic landscape, but it was really neglected and forgotten, and not forgotten about people who lived there, obviously, I don't mean to be condescending, people who lived there loved it, whatever, but it wasn't really thought of by New Yorkers as much as certainly the Hamptons or even the Berkshires. 
Although it's, it's, it's as close as the Berkshires, if not closer. So it's interesting to me how that got started. And I do think that dealers had a lot to do with it. But of course, that raises, and you mentioned this bill, affordability. So now that is changing. So how do you think that's going to affect? It's not as affordable as it used to be. I mean, Hannah, I'm sure your rents haven't gone down. No, they're they're like right up there with the city, wow. like Manhattan. I mean, they're crazy. They really are. And I think that that's going to, it's difficult because once that starts to happen, I think that the affordability and the accessibility, like the fact that we were like the difference between Hudson and the Hamptons, you know, the Hamptons is a huge commitment to get there. And I think that the pull for Hudson was the fact that, okay, two hours, I can take a scenic train ride from New York and be right on Warren Street. And a beautiful so that train ride, had, yeah. And I think that had a lot to do. A beautiful train ride, relax, two hours, boom, you're there right on Warren. So that has a, a lot to do with the continued popularity, I think, because it's just convenient. And people can have nature and they can have beauty and they can have restaurants with a two-hour train ride, you know. But the increase in rent and then the, the increase in um, – just really everything. It's it's hard to know what's going to happen from here, to be honest, because it, it does seem, and I'm curious to see what you, Bill and Nick, think, but, you know, it is bringing in a bit of a younger crowd now. And so it, it's changing a bit. And so the question is, is will we be able to keep up kind of with the with the rhythm that we've been in with kind of this new burst of tourism? That's a bit of a younger, younger crowd, you know, so I don't know. It's it's interesting to see what will come from here. But yeah, there and, and, and these little communities that something like Livingston Manor, say, which is really in the Delaware Valley, you know, has the new Catskill art space. It's got all these new shots. It's kind of a mini Hudson. And you're seeing these little satellite towns pop up. And I think overall, the economy here has benefited pretty, you know, you can't get a contractor. It has, you don't see the, the poverty is still here. I know it's still here, but you, it's, you see it, it's changing. You don't see the cars in the front yard. You don't see couches out thrown. You know, I mean, it is, it has lifted all boats as one would say, you know, economically it, it, and, and again, the design community has, has helped that dramatically, dramatically. I mean, we were having coffee at the maker at their little coffee shop restaurant and sitting next to, I think a couple and then a, a, a friend of theirs. And they were having the most like sort of low key pretentious one-upmanship conversation <laughs> about like, how can we out upstate each other <laughs> to the point that the one, one woman and her like car hard and her denim or whatever. And she was like, well, I actually make my pottery from the clay behind my house in my own creek. And I'm oh just like, <laughs> like, there is that yeah. element for sure. Yeah, top that. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, and meanwhile, we are totally covered in mud from the garden or from like whatever. Not that we're like such doers and like handy people, but I just go back to the, the real characters of Hudson. I mean, like to me, it's like Colin Stair, Stair Galleries, like Alphonse Sutter, I remember Tom, when Tom Noonan, I don't know if Tom Noonan is still alive, but years ago when he closed up his shop, I went to the Stair Galleries auction of his 
not a state, but of whatever he wanted to sell at the time. And Colin gets up on the microphone at the auction at the at the auction and says, Tom Noonan wants you to know that he's not dead. He just hates people and the internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, I can respect uh, that. So yeah, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to sell stuff over the internet. Go good right. for you. But Nick, I'm sure well, I'm not sure, but I would guess that your second house was not less expensive than your first house. It, well, there's a whole, I won't tell you the whole story behind it. It, it wasn't, but it, for the land that it's on and the area, I still think I got okay. a bargain, knock on wood. This seems to happen to me real estate wise. The, well, the gentleman selling it had, it, is, it had been in his family for 150 years and it was once part of a much bigger farm. And it's this like really exotic high style Greek revival in the middle of nowhere, essentially. And I've been driving by. Because um, all I did during COVID lockdown was drive by houses, um, like you were saying, Bill, just like, let's go down this road and see what's here. Like, hope they don't think that I'm a criminal. <laughs> but my partner and I were driving by after lockdown, and I said, I want to show you this house. It's really cool. It's set way back, and it's not for sale. And as soon as I said that, he goes, it's for sale. We have to call. So we pulled over on the side of the road, called the broker, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it was a, it was a long thing. But this man um, shook my hand with tears in his eyes and said, I know this property is supposed to go to you because I know you're going to do something amazing with it. So I was like, it was really meant to be. So they still it was meant to be. And there were there were many other hoops to jump through before the closing. (laughs) But that was the fairy tale part of the story. And how about the renovation? Because as Bill was saying, I'm sure there's like not enough. And we've done podcasts about this. There's not enough artisans, contractors, even electricians under the best of circumstances. So has that become more difficult than your first renovation? It has. And we're kind of acting as our own general Mm -hmm. contractors, which is a blessing and a curse. Overall, we've been lucky with the people that we've hired because even if the work isn't at like a a plus Manhattan decorator standard. <laughs> they showed up and they didn't take the money and run. <laughs> Got it done. Yeah, because that has happened to our friends and our neighbors. And it's because, listen, this in 2023, it costs a fortune. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Cherish podcast. I'm Anna Brockway, president and co founder of Cherish. We're taking a quick break to fill you in on some exciting news. Cherish is launching an extended return policy only for interior designers. Cherish trade members will now have access to the best return window in the industry with a full 14 days to return qualifying purchases, including on international fines. This limited time offer ends on October 31st. For more details, visit cherish.com trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. And now back to the show. What do you think is going to happen next? Because I think design now is integral to Hudson and the region. Like like another yes. great example of design doing good is, you know, Brad Ford starting Field and Supply uh, in Kingston on the other side of the river. I'm like a maker's fair and everything. And, and the fall one is coming October 6th. And I think it's for a long weekend. You know, and that attracts a lot of people, which is all great. And God knows we need more makers and we need to support the makers. And it's another thing we've done podcasts about. So... Do you think that that this design focus is going to continue? Do you think it does it? Uh, is there resentment from the locals about any of this? With all these, as Hannah was saying, all these young families, all people coming in new. How how does 
how, what, what else can design do to keep this, this town and the region going? I mean, I think the, the maker aspect, the creativity and the design factor is not going away anytime soon. And I think speaking of the like a rising tide lifts all ships economically, I don't, I don't get how any local crusty or not crusty could, could kind of be offended by kind of revenue coming into the local economy. I think Bradford, who is fabulous, like did, does such an amazing job with field and supply. I mean, am I buying like the $900, like Klein blue cashmere scarf, or, like wool scarf? Probably not, but I like that it's there and that people are showing what they can do. Kingston, I think in particular, the geography of Kingston and the layout of the downtown to me is like the most compelling in the Hudson Valley. That little rond out and the, the way things sit up on the hill, I just think yeah, is it's fabulous. a stunning, stunning city. Yeah. Right. Um, with, with so much potential. And, and, and field and supply is fabulous. I mean, it's like, it gets all kinds of people. It gets, and it's only expanded. And now it's been once a year, now it's twice a year, spring and fall. And I think he's going to do branches. And so it's interesting to me that there seems to be a hunger for it and designers want it and, and will support it. But I guess the, my question is, how far can this area go as a design thing? As you, you know, Bill, you're already saying more satellite towns. What's going to happen next? Are there areas that are still can be rediscovered? Is there? Is it? It's a big is, area. It's a big Hudson going to be? Ta- it's a very. No, big it is region. a big area. But is is Hudson going to be taken over by Creighton Barrow? I, I think that um, it's going to take some work. To be honest, being there on Warren Street and kind of seeing the, you know, the ups and the downs, I think it's going to take creativity of the the shop owners to bring people in and to keep the attention of, of interior designers. Post-COVID, there was this crazy boom. We couldn't even keep inventory in stock. It was like, you saw a pair of leather club chairs, well, you better buy them now because they will not be here next week. And although our business is continuing to thrive, we do have other outlets. So I think that dealers and will have to be kind of creative in ways to keep designers interested. What I love is I love all, you know, it's not just antique shops. It's like what what Lev did by opening the maker and just and using such incredible finishings and just making it a beautiful experience, like a lot of the smaller hotels and restaurants that continue to really help with the draw to bring people back. But as far as like the design community, I mean, I'm I'm curious too, because I do think it's rooted, the roots go deep. So I would think it's because of, like you had mentioned the Frederick Church from Olana, like growing up, that was one of my favorite places to go. And before I even knew I would have anything to do with design, I just remember being a little kid and looking at that architecture and the, you know, the views of the Catskill Mountains and the bridge and just my breath being taken away. So there are so many rooted things, even in nature around Hudson that bring us back to design. But there are competing, you know, Great Barrington is a huge, a lot of my clients are headed there. They do Millerton, you know, Kingston. There's there's a lot of competing towns for sure. I still pretty strongly would say in confidence that Warren Street holds the best quantity and quality of dealers in one spot, really, really in the U.S. I mean, it's kind of like it's it's a pretty amazing street for just being able to come and in one 
mile or however long, you know, whatever blocks you, you're hitting some of the best merchandise and dealers yeah, from all over the world. If you, if you walk through Andes, you can see the, the entire main street and a few minutes. If you walk through Hudson, it's going to take you a long time, you know, to go all the way down and all the way back. You know, it's a much, much bigger, com- yeah. you know, right. that Warren Street is long. Right. And it no, I remember there were literally, now. I think, five dealers yeah. on Warren Street the first time I went. Yeah. And it's, I get, yeah. and it's like, mm. how do you sustain that? And again, like I was saying, without it becoming attractive to, you know, room and board or Craig Merrill, I mean... Well, the town has to, the town has to, I mean, one of the things that Hudson has is this intensely involved community. You know, there's, the community is, is, and a lot of the other upstate towns, you know, there is involvement by, I guess what I would say, I don't know if we're newcomers anymore, but Hudson has had that for a long time. The community members put their foot down. They, you know, they want to keep it the way it the way it is. And some communities aren't like that. It needs it needs people yes, to get our, involved. Our community, we've seen the historic photographs that look like it's a wonderful life with the covered bridge and the railroad station and just the clabbered everything. And now it's a McDonald's and a Dunkin' and a Chase Bank and a CVS. And the community was not as active. And I'm not saying, you know, these people don't need jobs and commerce doesn't have to continue, but it's it has lost much of the charm, I have oh. to say. Yeah. Poor Pleasant Valley. I mean, but, yeah. but the problem <laughs> no. is, as we know, charm can be expensive. Maintaining. It is. Yeah. Expensive to maintain. Maintaining historic yeah. structures, houses, whether or shops or whatever, is really hard. And people have to understand the value of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of these towns, and listen, they went through, as you were saying, Bill, poverty. They've been through hard times. People come in with money. They see that and they're going to take it. So I, I guess it, 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 it'll go by town, by town, region by region, obviously. But it's interesting that Hudson has managed to avoid that. And it's interesting what you were saying, Bill, about the community involvement. And Hannah, is there a group of an organization or something that the dealers all belong to? Or, you know, do they publicize like days come up to Hudson weekend or whatever? Do they do that kind of thing? They do. I think it was more active, like probably, you know, years before. I am a little embarrassed to say that I'm not really part of it if there is one, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that I don't, there is like an antique association, you know, how, how relevant it is or how, you know, especially now since social media has become more of a platform, I'm not sure kind of how relevant it is today, but you know, we do things like, okay, so for like winter walk, for instance, all the dealers kind of collaborate and put, you know, do their windows and then compete for the best window and to try to bring, you know, to, and so there's little things like that, that happen where the, where the dealers try to participate, whether it be in, you know, the parades or the holidays or things like that. And then some of the local newspapers Mm -hmm. will do articles or, you know, magazines will do articles here and there, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see what the future of it holds. I'm excited. I think people have to be kind of committed to just just mm-hmm. continuing to carry on the legacy. I mean, it really has been all these years. And it's amazing to think because I grew up upstate, you know, the rest of my family is from Long Island. We, I remember when I was little, I mean, Hudson was considered, you know, like dangerous. Yeah, like you just I don't, you know, there was not, it's like, yeah. okay, we don't, do, we don't go down this strip. A lot of drugs. Yeah, and a lot of drugs, you know, with the river right there and the prisons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so much... So to see really what the design community and what antiques and art, because art has art, definitely course, played the yep, huge role, what, what it's done is is remarkable. And I hope it just continues to to grow and people continue to appreciate 
But it, it is a challenge because God knows there's not as many brick and mortar stores as there used to be. Even in Manhattan, there's not as many brick and mortar mm, stores yeah. as there used to be and plenty of empty storefronts and not as many home stores or design stores as there used to be. So I, I, it's fascinating that Hudson, at least so far, has you know not only escaped that, but you've gone in the opposite direction. It is really flourishing. Well, and I'll say this, we can't find brick and mortar. There's not enough brick and mortar on Warren Street because if there was more, it would be a wonderful thing. But like to actually find that large storefront, we don't have enough. Right. You know, so the the outer, like the towns, you know, the streets like State Street and Union and all, you know, will go kind of off of Warren and people are having to branch. But have you ever been to Margaretville? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> come come on over. I bet there's some empty stores there, right, Bill? Yeah. And wait, Nick, what what's the town? Pleasant Valley. Pleasant come on. Valley. You're, well, well I'll, I'll give you the tour. It takes guys, about four listen, minutes. I, I mean, I live on the other side of the river. I live in West Kuksaki yeah. where there's been a major oh, boom. Yeah. But I mean, I I you know, it does push some of us like it's funny, all three of us, it doesn't look like any one of us live right there on Warren Street. You know, we have right. several galleries. We have right. a few, a few uh, some wonderful artisan shops. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible, but it's tiny. You know, it's a tiny town. But yeah, and yeah. you wind up in, you're in the car yeah. a lot. You know, you, we drive a lot. Right, right, right. Yeah. I guess, okay. and this is another thing, the, you know, a lot of them sell online, by right? Cherish or whatever, you know, they have the websites. Yeah. Which I guess helps them keep going because, especially in the winter, these towns can be rather bleak, as I have experienced. Yeah. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. Hannah, if you found that this town slows down in the winter, I mean, I would I would assume it does. But, you know, it's so interesting, Michael, because it's hard to know. I think like I have it figured out. And then like the next year is a little bit different. So I our store in particular um we we only have like furniture. Right. So if people aren't coming in looking and well and rugs, mm-hmm. Joanna sells, right. you know, antique rugs. So we don't have like tourism type right. items. So my You're not selling potpourri. <laughs> no. Or candles or any of it for that matter, which we should. But our summers tend to be really slower for us. Oh, and interesting. then um yeah, and then kind of come fall summers slow down a bit. It doesn't mean traffic is slowing down. It just means like people really, th- people are traveling, they're they're in Europe, and then the people that are local are kind of wanting to mosey with their coffee cups. You know, it's like a different buzz. So we look forward to like fall gets really busy. We stay busy through the holidays, and then we, mo- we may lull down a little bit, you know, in like March, February, March. But for the most part, summer tends to be a bit slower for like furniture and like big piece movement, which is when we're super grateful for Cherish and the the platform that they've provided. And then I also sell at shows. So I'm gearing up for my show season, which I can't wait for. Mm-hmm. Get you out in the road. But there now there's so many incredible little like bars and restaurants and there are like and they stay open all year. So that helps with the with the full year traffic. And the maker has been a real pull for like it's booked constantly. So, you know, there's always somebody in town where it used to kind of empty out. But now, you know, between Barbeen and for Feast and Flora and some of the awesome restaurants, you know, Rivertown, it kind of keeps people moseying. But yeah, if it's freezing, you know, they want to get in your store to warm up <laughs> right. and then keep going. <laughs> and they keep going. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, again, Bill, looking at your book, one of the things that I realized, I mean, I sort of knew this, but it was 
you might have put it right in front of my eyes beautifully, is I think that this is an area, you know, the larger area, Western, the Catskills and Hudson Valley, that really does attract people like Nick, who are dreamers and, you know, want to live individually because there's such a range of properties, styles of houses. It, it really does inspire people to be themselves at their best, I think, or to explore different things and try whether it's a historic renovation or a new house that's sleek yeah. and well, particularly during the pandemic, it was just a remarkable thing right. to be up here and in nature, right. you know, because it right. just it was so incredibly soothing. I have a friend in New York who said that she used to go just simply go over to the river and watch the water flow. And up here it was the same thing. You just to step outside to be able to do that was a, was a great thing. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think your next book, Bill, has to be The Gardens of the Catskills. And I, the well, I tell you, I, there were a number of gardens that uh, – oh, there's so many ideas I can't uh, – <laughs> I, I, I – I, I, I can't sit still as it is, so having more, more, you know, and... Yeah. Uh, because, you know, once you have your house and once you exactly. furnish your house, then you start dealing with the garden rooms. and you, you got to furnish garden. the garden right. as well, you know, right. so... Yeah, no, there's, a, there's a, a lot of opportunities. And it, like I said, it's a big region, so it's, yeah. you never really find it right. all. Right, and I, there's a space for everybody, mm. right. Which There's is a space for everybody. I mean, I you know, how mm. many years ago were people, photographers primarily living in the Stone Ridge area, you know, it, it, and that was probably around the same time as the Hudson, sort of the first first boom generationally for me in Hudson. Um, so so it, 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 it's happened. It Hopefully it'll continue. I, we, it's, up, it's up to a lot of things, the economy and our politics and all of those things. But as long as people are producing. It's affordable too. It is right. still affordable. Right. You may have to go yes. further and further and further, but. Right. Um, mm -hmm. It's true. And, you know, listen, creating is one thing, maintaining is another. And yeah, they're yeah, equally yeah. difficult. But I think, I think the region is on such an upswing and now, and the, you know, people are aware of it and coming to Hudson. And I think anyone who goes to Hudson is not going to be disappointed. Like yeah. we were saying, there's restaurants, there's galleries. Well, it's a magic town. It's a magic town. And the region around is so beautiful, like you said. So we're going to encourage everyone to do what Nick did <laughs> yeah, and just please. go down those roads and explore. Bill, you did, you know, finding things and maybe you'll find their dream house. Or they'll find their dream dealer, Hannah. Yep. <laughs> um, I think it's like really a, and a, a wonderful area. And go, go to Field and Supply, October 6th, or that weekend. Discover the area. Kingston's fabulous. Of course. Um, you know. And Michael, not not to knock the Hamptons, but I do think Go ahead, knock the him. Hudson Valley. No, <laughs> the whole, I, it triggers me because I, I have to drive there at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. So oh, okay. For, yeah, yeah, so it triggers me due to work. Right. Uh, but I know it's beauty and I know it's charm. It is yeah. beautiful. The Hudson Valley, the whole region, is kind of choose your own adventure. And it's full of people who don't leave Manhattan, whether on the weekends or full time, to get exactly their Manhattan or Hamptons right. experience, yeah. they right. want something else. Right. Yeah. And that can have its so own bougie true. connotations too. But I don't need to go to a chain restaurant that I enjoy, you know, in Soho, like the Hamptons outpost. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? It's right. like we right. want to experience different things and have that sense of discovery too. Right. Which, you know, millions of other people have discovered it as well. Right. It's like not our first thing, but 
that's the charm for me. It's beautiful. It's like a storybook. It's gorgeous. But I think what people really do love about Hudson and what keeps them coming back is just the authenticity and the fact that you can kind of be who you want to be. You can wear what you want to wear. There's not pressure. There's not people truly can be their authentic self. And sometimes that's you know, produced in art or it's produced how somebody's walking down the street, but it truly is like you come there Absolutely. to just chill. And, and yeah. that's what people love. And, you, and, and the you architecture's know. a heck of a lot better. Yeah, yes. I agree. I agree true. too. Yes. A heck of a lot. And you don't have to make your own pottery from your own clay in the backyard, right, Nick? <laughs> in fact, if no. you want to. <laughs> and if you want to, but you don't have to. No, but if you no do, pressure. please don't talk about it in public. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you all. I want to thank my marvelous guests, Hannah Kachadorian, so Philip Ronowitz, and Nick Olson. Thank you, and Michael. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Mm-hmm.